The French Revolution, A History, by Thomas Carlyle, Volume 2, The Constitution. Book 1, The Feast of Pikes. Chapter 8, Solemn League and Covenant. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Peter Dan. Book 1, Chapter 8, Solemn League and Covenant. Such dim masses and specks of even deepest black work in that white-hot glow of the French mind now wholly in fusion and confusion. Old women here swearing their ten children on the new evangel of Jean-Jacques, old women there looking up the favras heads in the celestial luminary, these are preternatural signs prefiguring somewhat. In fact, to the patriot children of hope themselves, it is undeniable that difficulties exist. Emigrating seigneurs, parliaments in sneaking but most malicious mutiny, though the rope is round their neck, above all the most decided deficiency of grains. Sorrowful, but to a nation that hopes not irremediable, to a nation which is in fusion an ardent communion of thought, which, for example, on signal of one Fugelman, will lift up its right hand like a drill regiment and swear and illuminate, till every village from Ardennes to the Pyrenees has rolled its village drum and sent up its little oath and glimmer of tallow illumination some fathoms into the rain of night. If grains are defective, the fault is not of nature or national assembly, but of art and anti-national intriguers. Such malign individuals of the scoundrel species have power to vex us, while the constitution is a-making. Endure it, ye heroic patriots, nay rather, why not cure it? Grains do grow, they lie extant there in sheaf or sack, only that regrators and royalist plotters to provoke the people into illegality obstruct the transport of grains. Quick, ye organised patriot authorities, armed national guards, meet together, unite your good will. In union is tenfold strength. Let the concentrated flash of your patriotism strike stealthy scoundrelism blind, paralytic, as with a coup de saillie. Under which hat or nightcap of the twenty-five millions this pregnant idea first rose, for in some one head it did rise, no man can now say. A most small idea, near at hand for the whole world, but a living one, fit, and which waxed, whether into greatness or not, into immeasurable size. When a nation is in this state that the Fugelman can operate on it, what will the word in season, the act in season, not do? It will grow verily like the boy's bean in the fairy tale, heaven high, with habitations and adventures on it in one night. It is, nevertheless, unfortunately, still a bean, for your long-lived oak grows not so. And the next night it may lie felled, horizontal, trodden into common mud. But remark, at least, how natural to any agitated nation which has faith this business of covenanting is. The Scotch, believing in a righteous heaven above them, and also in a gospel far other than the Jean-Jacques one, swore in their extreme need a solemn league and covenant, as brothers on the forlorn hope and imminence of battle, who embrace looking Godward, and got the whole isle to swear it, and even in their tough old Saxon-Hebrew Presbyterian way, to keep it more or less, for the thing, as such things are, was heard in heaven, and partially ratified there, 
Neither is it yet dead, if thou wilt look, nor like to die. The French, too, with their Gallic ethnic excitability and effervescence, have, as we have seen, real faith of a sort. They are hard bestead, though, in the middle of hope. A national solemn league and covenant there may be in France, too, under how different conditions, with how different development and issue. Note, accordingly, the small commencement, first spark of a mighty firework. For if the particular hat cannot be fixed upon, the particular district can. On the twenty-ninth day of last November were National Guards by the thousand seen filing from far and near with military music, with municipal officers in tricolour sashes, towards and along the Rhone stream to the little town of Etoile. There, with ceremonial evolution and manoeuvre, with fanfaronading, musketry salvos, and what else the patriot genius could devise, they made oath and obtestation to stand faithfully by one another under law and king. In particular, to have all manner of grains, while grains there were, freely circulated in spite both of robber and regrater. This was the meeting of Etoile in the mild end of November 1789. But now, if a mere empty review, followed by review, dinner, ball, and such gesticulation and flirtation as there may be, interests the happy country town and makes it the envy of surrounding country towns, how much more might this? In a fortnight, larger Montelimar, half ashamed of itself, will do as good and better. On the plain of Montelimar, or what is equally sonorous, under the walls of Montelimar, the 13th of December sees new gathering and obtestation, 6,000 strong. And now, indeed, with these three remarkable improvements as unanimously resolved on there. First, that the men of Montelimar do federate with the already federated men of Etoile. Second, that, implying not expressing the circulation of grain, they swear in the face of God and their country, with much more emphasis and comprehensiveness, to obey all decrees of the National Assembly and see them obeyed till death, jusqu'à la mort. Third, and most important, that official record of all this be solemnly delivered into the National Assembly to Monsieur de Lafayette and to the restorer of French liberty, who shall all take what comfort from it they can. Thus does Larger Montelimar vindicate its patriotic importance and maintain its rank in the municipal scale. And so, with the new year, the signal is hoisted. For is not a national assembly and solemn deliverance there, at lowest a national telegraph? Not only grain shall circulate while there is grain on highways or the Rhone waters over all that southeastern region, where also, if Monsieur Datois saw good to break in from Turin, hot welcome might wait him. But whatsoever province of France is straitened for grain or vexed with a mutinous parliament, unconstitutional plotters, monarchic clubs, or any other patriot ailment, can go and do likewise or even do better. And now, especially when the February swearing has set them all agog. From Brittany to Burgundy, on most plains of France, under most city walls, it is a blaring of trumpets, waving of banners, a constitutional manoeuvring under the vernal skies, while nature too is putting forth her green hopes under bright sunshine defaced by the stormful east, like patriotism victorious, though with difficulty, over aristocracy and defect of grain.
their march and constitutionally wheel to the sa-iraring mood of fife and drum under their trickler municipals our clear-gleaming phalanxes, or halt with uplifted right hand and artillery salvos that imitate Jove's thunder. And all the country, and metaphorically all the universe, is looking on. Holy, in their best apparel, brave men and beautifully dizened women, most of whom have lovers there, swearing by the eternal heavens in this green-growing all nutritive earth that France is free. Sweetest days, when astonishing to say mortals have actually met together in communion and fellowship, and man, were it only once through long despicable centuries, is for moments verily the brother of man. And then the deputations to the National Assembly, with high-flown descriptive harangue, to Monsieur de Lafayette and the Restorer, very frequently, moreover, to the mother of patriotism, sitting on her stout benches in that hall of the Jacobins. The general ear is filled with federation. New names of patriots emerge, which shall one day become familiar. Boyer Fonfred, eloquent denunciator of a rebellious Bordeaux parliament. Maxinard, eloquent reporter of the Federation of Draguignan, eloquent pair separated by the whole breadth of France who are nevertheless to meet. Even wider burns the flame of Federation, ever wider and also brighter. Thus the Brittany and Anjou brethren mention a fraternity of all true Frenchmen and go the length of invoking perdition and death on any renegade. Moreover, if in their National Assembly harangue they glance plaintively at the Marc d'Argent which makes so many citizens passive, they, over in the Mother Society, ask, being henceforth themselves neither Breton nor Angevin but French, why all France has not one federation and universal oath of brotherhood once for all? A most pertinent suggestion, dating from the end of March which pertinent suggestion the whole patriot world cannot but catch and reverberate and agitate till it become loud, which in that case the town hall municipals had better take up and meditate. Some universal federation seems inevitable. The where is given, clearly Paris, only the when, the how. These also productive time will give, is already giving. For always, as the federative work goes on, it perfects itself, and patriot genius adds contribution after contribution. Thus at Lyon, in the end of the May month, we behold as many as fifty, or some say sixty thousand, met to federate, and a multitude looking on, which it would be difficult to number, from dawn to dusk. For our Lyon guardsmen took rank at five in the bright dewy morning, came pouring in, bright gleaming, to the Quai de Rhone, to march thence to the Federation field, amid wavings of hats and lady handkerchiefs, glad shoutings of some two hundred thousand patriot voices and hearts, the beautiful and brave. Among whom, courting no notice, and yet the notablest of all, what queen-like figure is this, with her escort of house-friends and Champagneur, the patriot editor, come abroad with the earliest? Radiant with enthusiasm are those dark eyes, is that strong Minerva face, looking dignity and earnest joy. Joyful is she, where all are joyful. It is Roland de la Platrie's wife. Strict elderly Roland, king's inspector of manufactures here, and now likewise by popular choice the strictest of our new Lyon municipals, 
A man who has gained much, if worth and faculty be gain, but above all things has gained to wife, Philippon, the Paris engraver's daughter. Reader, mark that queen-like burger woman, beautiful, Amazonian, graceful to the eye, more so to the mind. Unconscious of her worth, as all worth is, of her greatness, of her crystal clearness, genuine the creature of sincerity and nature in an age of artificiality, pollution and cant. There in her still completeness, in her still invincibility, she, if thou knew it, is the noblest of all living French women, and will be seen one day. O oh, blessed rather, while unseen even of herself, for the present she gazes, nothing doubting, into this grand theatricality, and thinks her young dreams are to be fulfilled. From dawn to dusk, as we said, it lasts, and truly a sight like few. Flourishes of drums and trumpets are something, but think of an artificial rock fifty feet high, all cut into crag steps, not without the similitude of shrubs. The interior cavity, for in sooth it is made of deal, stands solemn, a temple of concord. On the outer summit rises a statue of liberty, colossal, seen for miles, with her pike and Phrygian cap and civic column. At her feet a country's altar, Hôtel de la Patrie, on all which neither deal timber nor lath and plaster with paint of various colours have been spared. But fancy then the banners all placed on the steps of the rock, High mass chaunted, and the civil oath of fifty thousand, with what volcanic outburst of sound from iron and other throats, enough to frighten back the very Saon and Rhone, and how the brightest fireworks and balls and even repasts closed in that night of the gods. And so the Lyon Federation vanishes too, swallowed of darkness. And yet not wholly, for our brave fair Roland was there. Also she, though in the deepest privacy, writes her narrative of it in Champagne's Courier de Lyon, a piece which circulates to the extent of sixty thousand, which one would like now to read. But on the whole, Paris, we may see, will have little to devise. We'll only have to borrow and apply. And then as to the day, what day of all the calendar is fit if the Bastille anniversary be not? The particular spot, too, is easy to see, must be the Champ de Mars, where many a Julian the apostate has been lifted on bucklers to France's or the world's sovereignty. And Iron Frank's loud clanging have responded to the voice of a Charlemagne, and from of old mere sublimities have been familiar. End of Book One, Chapter Eight